0: Now, when John heard in prison about the things Jesus was doing, he sent word by his disciples to Jesus, asking, Are you the one who is to come, or should we look for another? Jesus responded, Go, report to John what you hear and see. Those who are blind are able to see. Those who were crippled are walking. People with skin diseases are cleansed. Those who were deaf now hear. Those who were dead are raised up the poor have good news proclaimed to them. Happy are those who don't stumble and fall because of me. When John's disciples had gone, Jesus spoke to the crowds about John. What did you go out to the wilderness to see? A stalk blowing in the wind? What did you go out to see? A man dressed up in refined clothes? Look, those who wear refined clothes are in royal places. What did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes I tell you and more than a prophet he is the one whom it is written look I'm sending my messenger before you who will prepare your way before you I assure you that no one who has ever been born is greater than John the Baptist yet whoever is least in the kingdom of God uh, in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he This is the word of the Lord
1: So right about now in the Advent season is that time of, like, oversaturation or fatigue. Um, In fact, I can't help but think that it's part of the wisdom of kind of our liturgical celebration that we have this pink candle that's an eruption of joy in the the midst of all of this. It's about time for that irregularity uh, to show up. After weeks of repentance and focus, joy comes in the morning. And so this is the penultimate second to last Sunday of Advent and it's known as Gaudete Sunday, which we had some funny observations. Ask asked Katie about that at Potluck and during this time we celebrate uh, for all of you Latin scholars on joy. Whenever you talk about joy during a season of kind of tension like this, like Advent, We're celebrating Jesus' first coming, but we're also waiting and preparing and saying, come Lord Jesus for Christ's second coming. Joy has to have kind of a a deeper and more dense uh, character, like a special character to it. And Eugene Peterson describes this character. He says, joy builds on the past and borrows from the future. So you can see That joy stretches out and it has this wide bandwidth. That's a pretty special sort of joy that's in rare supply. So I have a confession to make that I've been listening to a little too much Christmas music. Um, And maybe this is because I don't start until a little later, so it's very condensed. But... And this is probably like a less than two weeks away from Christmas sort of thought to have too, but in my listening, I've started to notice these subgenres in, Chris- in Christmas music, and one really interesting like Christmas music subgenre is the come home song. And do you know this? Like maybe the most famous is "Baby Please Come Home," which was a Darlene Love Phil Spector song that Mariah Carey like made probably the last version of that should ever exist, right? Um, But also, like this last week, I got into this, it (coughs) it was originally a blues song called Please Come Home for Christmas, um, made by a guy named uh, Charles Brown, and then redone by the Eagles, which is an incredible cover, and most recently by Kelly Clarkson is how it came back onto my radar, right? And these songs are filled with this, like this particular version of like an advent longing and hope and promises of joy that, that really makes sense during this season. Here's the lyric from uh, Please Come Home. It says, and I won't sing for you. I, I should have I, I made the band do this, right? Like uh, We need to get like the house band where I can just point at them and they'll start playing. Like Questlove house band, right? It's as sure as the stars shine above, but this is Christmas, yes, Christmas, my dear, the time of year to be with the ones you love. So won't you tell me that you'll never more roam. Christmas and New Year's will find you home. There'll be no more sorrow, no grief and pain, and I'll be happy, happy once again. You hear that? That's, do you hear that hope? No more sorrow, no grief, no pain, happy once again. And it's all predicated on an arrival that you'll come home for christmas it's for a long lost loved one to show up this is really great songwriting joy and hope in a minor key it's this vision is really even inspiring but i think it's like completely under directed maybe not totally misdirected but it's kind of under directed it's kind of a domesticated hope and joy it's 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 way too homey and not nearly cosmic enough for the sort of hope and joy that we're talking about in this advent season like we're we're looking instead for a joy that only truly fits Emmanuel God in God's kingdom coming to be with us the one who is love not just one of our loved ones right the song and the songs in the genre though, they do recognize how deeply intertwined hope and joy are. In this vision, joy is the end product of hope. You hope they'll come home, and when they do, you'll have joy, right? But I want to say something kind of significantly different. And I think I think scripture and the birth and life and death and resurrection of Jesus say something kind of quite different. I think our Advent observance hints is something pretty different. And I think that's that joy and hope are conjoined in that they happen at the same time or that they can happen at the same time. That th- it's not a sequence. It's not hope, 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 joy, but it's rather simultaneous. Hope and joy together. I think these songs are, this genre of Christmas music is teaching me that some of these hopes are not nearly big enough in that this this sequence doesn't need to to necessarily be the way we think about hope and joy, but they can happen at the same time and in the same space. So Advent is a time to get our hopes up, to, to really hope well and to hope hard. If you're like me, that's kind of a strange muscle to flex most of the time. I'm more of the school of, like, aim small, miss small school of hope, you know? If you don't hope too much, you probably won't get too disappointed. And small hope can be a pretty decent recipe for contentedness. You only live, like, in this middle bandwidth most of the time. But Advent shoots the moon, so to speak. Advent says that when our hope is too small, our joy is too weak. The Advent hope is that God would actually come home and that there'd be no sorrow, no grief, no pain, and that even in the meantime, even especially in the waiting, that there can be joy. There's no small irony, then, that Jesus was born into a world of immense sorrow and grief and pain. The first arrival happened to very little fanfare, despite some shepherds and a couple wise men, some angels, right? Um, but mostly there's a lot of conflict and danger. This is Herod uh, directing a genocide of, of Israelite babies, right? But for all the ways that we're able, in hindsight, to, to speak of this as a moment of joy, and we have like, really cute kids' Christmas pageants that talk about this as a moment of joy, maybe it would help us to remember Jesus' parents' situation here. It's a situation that, that we, we often um, see or are called into by maybe even some of our own neighbors. It seems that, that hope and joy's relationship then is a little more complicated than first blush, maybe a little more difficult to discern. Our reading today shows John the Baptist asking Jesus later in life from prison, are you the one who is to come or should we look for another? It appears that even John, even John whose insight was well honed all that time in the desert still isn't like 100% calibrated to Jesus. So Jesus responds, go report to John what you hear and see. Those who are blind now see. Those who are crippled are walking. Those with skin diseases are cleansed. Those who are deaf now hear. Those who are dead are raised up. The poor have good news proclaimed to them. Happier are those who don't stumble and fall because of me. This should sound pretty familiar to y'all by now. This is like Isaiah-styled vision of hope and healing and hospitality. This is God's kingdom breaking into our now built on the past and borrowing from the future. This is, these are the great fissures of our time wrought by sin now being fused. This is God's world being set aright. This is God inhabiting creation and new creation springing forth. The evidence of all this is changed lives, healed bodies, re-knit communities. People are regaining their faculties to be able to hear and to make music and to dance to these songs of hope and joy. Jesus is giving all those people that are gathered around him, he's giving them a new set of eyes. He's saying, you've seen and you've heard these things. Open your eyes. They're happening around you. The Apostle Paul famously talks about being in Christ, united with Christ. And now he says, I don't see or speak merely from a human point of view, but with this new vision. I think of it almost like a pair, a new pair of glasses. My, my niece and nephew who we hosted for Thanksgiving, they both recently got new glasses. This is my niece, Zelly, And she said when she put them on, and she didn't know that she was needed glasses. They were just walking around all the time squinting. And she finally got glasses, and she said, Mommy, I can see you. I can see the sky. I can see everything. You know, I think this is the reaction for us in Christ, given this new set of eyes, these new lenses to see the world. During this little Lent that we're in, this Advent season, it's a good time to inspect our vision. To see, like... What is on our our dashboard? What scratches, what dirt causes distortion? Inability to see the gifts of God that are in front of us. Inability to see God coming to us again and again in our everyday lives, calling us into the work of God's kingdom coming on earth as it is in heaven. Norman Wurzba reminds us that seasons like Advent call us into joy, which comes through hope by recalibrating our vision In turning our eyes to God and away from selfishness and sin, he says, true joy is freedom from fear and alienation. Real joy is knowing that we are loved and nurtured. And practices that we we do during the seasons like this, like fasting, prepare us for joy. Because they turn our self-serving into self-offering ways that nurture, celebrate, and share the gifts of God. They remove the glasses that distort our vision and degrade our relations with others. It, we, we remember in in seasons like this, in processes like this that we are primarily enjoyed by God, not not used by God, not uh, shamed by God, but enjoyed by God, enjoyed by God enough that God would become one of us. Do you know the level of baseline joy that that takes to want to be? with someone that way. So if joy and hope are connected through our vision, the ways we see the world, the ways we see ourselves, the lens through which we see everything, I think they're also connected through our hearing. The, 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 the ways we take in information, but also and in, in especially the, the music That make up our lives, the soundtrack of our lives. So getting outside of the canon of Christmas tunes for a moment. Maybe one of the greatest examples of this, this sort of like hopeful, joyful eruption in music, is a jazz album by John Coltrane called A Love Supreme. It's about 55 years old now. The first movement of Coltrane's record is called acknowledgement. They have all these movements and it features a chant in both words and music. The last movement is called a, is called psalm. You can hear the spirituality of this record even just in the way it's organized. He actually sat down over a poem that he wrote um and he tried to play the notes how he would read it. So it's uh I thought about when Mar- Marcus and the band were, was playing "Lo How a Rose, Air Blumeth, and, and it's, um, it's got this kind of like fits and starts and these hesitations, and it's really it was maybe hard for us to get at the beginning, but by the end we had it down, and, and in the same way the, the music is telling more of the story maybe than even the beautiful words about how we hope and how we lean into, and then how we are a little disappointed, and it's a little not there yet, and we wait, and now we're there. And it's a relief and it's a resolution. And so that's happening on the Coltrane record too. It's that this poem that he wrote the music to features these words. He says, he will remake us. He always has, and he always will. It is true. Blessed be his name. Thank you, God. God breathes through us so completely, so gently we can hardly feel it. Yet it is our everything. Thank you, God, elation, elegance. Exaltation all from God, thank you God, amen. He's breathing these prayers. It's a fascinating masterpiece. It's a great example of how music can help us express and discover emotions that we have and sometimes don't know how to articulate. It helps us kind of hold these feelings together that don't really make a whole lot of sense as component parts, pain and hope and hurt and joy. Coltrane's music in particular, but music in general is, is bodily this way. It puts these emotions that can always, sometimes be kind of theoretical and it puts them in our bodies. Like, think about gospel hymns or black spirituals or even like anything indie rock, pop music, opera, concert, hall, piano. Music takes bodies and makes movement and elicits joy. Even reading scripture out loud needs our bodies there's air traveling through my lungs out my throat through my vocal cords and, and then there's something new and different than what's happening just in my head songs are meant to be heard out loud they're meant to be a body thing not just a head thing that's why a large chunk of our bible are just songs known as psalms that uses our body and it brings about joy in a physical way. Tangible, sadness and sorrow get tears and joy gets laughter and song. Something to touch and feel, something our bodies experience and express. This is the hope-joy combo of a song um, like our band did today, Psalm 126. It says, those who sow with tears will reap songs of joy. Those who go out weeping carry Carrying seed to sow will return with songs of joy, carrying sheaves with them. It would make sense in this Advent season that joy might not just capture our attention and our imaginations, but also our bodies. Because if we remember, what we're looking forward to is God becoming a human in Jesus, the incarnation the word becoming flesh and moving into the neighborhood, tabernacling, pitching a tent right in the thick of us, creating an opportunity for our bodies, all bodies, no matter how sin racked or mistreated, to be saved and loved and redeemed. Theologian Willie Jennings sees this link between jazz music and the incarnation and puts it this way. He says, in Jesus, God did not remove the complexity of the divine life, but became a companion for us. Inviting us to live freely in the absolute unfathomable depths of grace and divine love. The son of God's life introduced us to the awesome complexity of the human creature itself. We're introduced to ourselves because God became one of us. We are much more than we can grasp, understand, and certainly control, each of us and all of us together. What I have learned by listening to and watching so many musicians, especially jazz musicians, he says, is what it means to give witness to that complexity. So that's something this week to go with, is to give witness to that complexity and that witness and that complexity being a praise of God because God took on a body Jesus took on flesh, so we come to realize that our flesh matters. Even as we battle with the sinful parts of our flesh, flesh is, is such a strange and ambiguous, like Bible word, because it, it, it is like a very good part of creation, but it's also a very damaged part of creation, right? At the same time. So even as we battle, we try to understand the dignity, the honor, the potential for renewal with these earthly vessels. They matter. They matter to God, and they should matter to us. And our hope is not that we escape them. Our answer is not that we damage them, but we hold them to be dwelling places for the Holy Spirit, where God hangs out. Sites for hope and joy to happen. When we experience joy, we experience it in Christ in all the complexity of our lives with our families and our work, with our neighbors, as we eat, as we pre- play, as we pray. In the past little while, I've been walking through a really tough season with a friend and it's been filled with temptation and depression. And they confided uh, that they desired to read scripture in this time and wanted a recommendation. I pointed them towards the Psalms of Ascent. That's like Psalm 120 to 135. So 126 is squarely in the middle of that. These are songs for a journey. They're hopeful, they're pilgriming songs that that know that they can't stay in the same place and need to move towards a new place, but they're also sneakily joyful right in the middle of that movement. These psalms help us experience the, the joy of God's presence on the way, on the way to somewhere new, on the way to God. Psalms like 126 assure us that the Father rains down opportunities for thankfulness and joy all around us, even in the midst of hard stuff, even in the midst of difficulty and sorrow, because of God's grace, God's hopeful future always holds joy for God's people. And we get to wear that joy right now. We get to trust in it. We hide it in our bones and let it seep out of our words and actions. So we're so confident in God's joy. Because this is what the incarnation means. When God chooses to bring joy into the world, it's an embodied joy. It's a joy in our bodies. It is an incarnated joy. It's a joy encased in fragile skin and bone and sinew of a little Middle Eastern child in the middle of strife and turmoil to an unwed couple, half of whom is a teenage virgin, right? God looks at that odd, tough, and impossible situation and says, joy to the world. That's how I'm going to bring joy to the world. The beautiful thing... that this hopeful joy in Jesus comes even before Jesus this is the joyful response of Mary who also motivated some of our songs for this morning Mary's soul magnifies God this is the she magnifies the God who has shown a magnifying glass on her small life and remembered her and knew her and imagined a huge role for her in the coming kingdom, the one who would bear God, simply by her saying yes, by her making room in her life, in her body for God to come into this world. But if that sounds really neat and romantic, think about the the tumult the, the difficulty that that creates, that like God tapping her for that task. It's, it's probably also a little reflected in her song of great tumult, even in this great hope that the, the, the high would be brought low and the low would be raised up. Uh, <laughs> Mary's song is a song of deconstruction, but it's also of new creation. I'm inspired by Mary's let it be response to this life-wrecking approach by God. I hope we'll be able to grow in that imagination that when God shows up, we get involved even if it changes our plans or our bodies or our hopes or our plans for, for what is even possible. That when God shows up, we begin to let the leaven of hope and joy do their work. Because if I'm honest, my default is to Let my joy be defined by my circumstances, by the things that happened to me. Even this last week, we had a really cold and rainy, like, awful day that's, like, really dreary and just, like, three degrees too cold to be beautiful snow. And it's just the worst thing ever. And my attitude is so bad. I'm walking around, I'm like, I love this place, and I hate it right now. And we're never going to make it through the winter. And then the next day, the sun came out. And I was like, oh, I love this place. This is amazing. I can see God everywhere, right? But when our horizons are this close, when they close in on us like that, joy becomes a feeling that is dependent on things like the weather or things like how someone treats you or things like your bank account or, or fill in the blank. This is a really weak joy. This is a joy that's out of our control. This is a joy that actually can be stolen. It's a joy that can be manipulated pretty easily. It's a joy that can just be completely missed out on if you're not looking at the right place at the right time. But we're invited into a much more solid joy. I'll close with Dietrich Bonhoeffer talking about this sort of joy. And he's he's talking about this sort of joy from prison. So we started with Uh, John the Baptist speaking from prison and we'll end with Dietrich Bonhoeffer speaking from prison. And He describes joy this way, that the joy of God, the joy that we're called into has been through the poverty of the manger and the affliction of the cross. Therefore, it is indestructible, irrefutable. It does not deny affliction when it's here, but it finds that in the very midst of distress that God is there. It does not argue that sin is not grievous but in that very place of sin is found forgiveness. It looks death in the face, and it is just there that it finds life. you all pray with me? Lord God, God who enjoys your creation, fount of our joy, School us in this indestructible, irrefutable joy that you've already given to us and made possible by the gift of your Son, by the gift of your Spirit. Help us grow in that ability, in that skill, in that habit of living into your joy, of seeing it with our eyes, hearing it with our ears, and speaking it and living it with our bodies. Thanks so much for the little eruptions of joy that you've put in in our lives. Surprises, discoveries that remind us, that show us that you have come, that you will come and that you continue to come to us. We thank you for all this in Jesus' name. Amen.